So I'd like to walk us through a few announcements. We're going to have some folks come up. We're going to pray over some, some people. And then we've got a really wonderful testimony that we get to hear this morning as we start off our service. But for those of you who don't know, we use the Bible app. And in the Bible app, you can actually access the sermon notes, all of our announcements, links to different things that are going on throughout the week. So everything I'm about to talk about right now, if you go into the Bible app, you go into events, you can find it right there. You can actually take notes in the sermon as well. So if, if you want to know what's going on, this is kind of the main place that you can continue to go. So I'm going to walk you through a few of those. First, men's ministry. Um, men's ministry has our... We're getting together to watch football. So um, <laughs> the NFL season starts up in a couple of weeks. We're going to go to Tyson Nate's house. We're going to watch the Bills and the Rams play in the season opener. But that's just our opportunity to get together. Um, right now we're in that season where we're trying to gather and connect as much as possible so that we can just get to know each other more. So if you're interested in that, make sure you show up for that. Robin, do you want to say anything about this event that you got coming up? Just sign up for it. Okay. How many people do you have signed up so far? Okay, good. So Robin's in charge, but has no idea. That's usually what I end up doing too. Is like, so we have a, um, a women's ministry opportunity that they're going to be doing Living Proof Conference. It's on Friday, October 14th and 15th. If you want any information on that, email Robin. It's in the announcements here. She'll tell you exactly what you need to do. The more people we have, the less expensive it is. So if we reach a certain point, it's only $10.75. It'll be here at the church, right? And it's a live stream. Yeah. We're over. We'll be over at the so you'll, everybody will come here. Oh, perfect. Okay. That's great. Thanks, Robin. Okay. So people still have time to sign up and contact you. Perfect. And we also have a fun thing. Malia back here organizes the worship nights at CCU. You, you in charge of that now? Yes. Awesome. So the fun thing about that is we, we have access as well to be able to participate in some of the worship nights. Um, on here you can see the first one is August 27th, 7 p.m. Make sure you sign up. That's a place that we can go and we can actually participate in worshiping. Life groups are starting up as well. I know Sean has talked a lot about the, the media aspect of what we're bringing to the church. You can still sign up for that. If you've not figured out how to do that, email me, email Sean. So everyone in the church has access to that resource with Right Now Media. Um, and then I'm going to bring up Abby, and Abby's going to talk a little bit more about our young adult group. Hello. Yes, my name is Abby. So we will be starting a young adults group again um, the second week of September. So for the first week, we like to kick it off with just like a little picnic in the park. Um, so we'll meet after church on September 11th. We'll head over to the park just down the street. Um, it's just a great time for everyone to get connected, reconnected. And then the following week, we'll start um, a study together. So we will meet before church um, from 845 to 945 down in the basement. Um, and that's just also a really great time um, to study the word together. Um, this is a group for like college age to 20-somethings. I don't know. It's really loose. Um, but if you want to get connected, please come introduce yourself after church. I'd love to meet you. love to introduce you to the other young adults. Um, again, my name is Abby, and we will start the second week of September. So that is all. Perfect. You don't applaud for me. Come on, man. What's up? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Abby. This is a 
an exciting aspect of what we're continuing to see grow in our, in our ministry here at Hillside. So if you're a young adult, make sure you grab Abby. If you want to email her, you can uh, email me and I'll email her. So, um, we're going to also pray. I'd like Mike and Isaiah to come up here They're in the back. Or you're right there. We're but here. Come here. Okay. <laughs> so these guys, as you know, have been part of our missionary family for a long time. It started off in Morocco. Uh, their family has now moved to Spain. So we're excited that they get to leave tomorrow at 5 o'clock. They're going to go and spend time with their family for a month in Spain. Um, so we're going to be praying for them as they go on this. They actually get to see the house. Have you seen it? He, he, yeah, he lived there. I, I haven't seen it. Our family bought a house out there. So I'm like, that's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> so for us, as, as just part of supporting these guys, it's been a long journey as the ministry has moved from Morocco to Spain, and we're still passionate about making sure that we support this family. So I just want to pray over them. I want you to know where they're going so you can be praying over the next month as well as they travel back to Spain. So pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these two. I thank you for the young men that you're growing them into. Uh, I thank you for this time. I think they both mentioned uh, what are their prayer requests on this, is that this would be a refreshing and restful time to reconnect as a family. Father, I pray that you would allow that to happen, that you would give those conversations, uh, that special time, that one-on-one -on -one time that's necessary, uh, but also just that space to be able to be refreshed. Uh, Father, I pray for their travels, the details that start tomorrow afternoon, getting them to Spain, that everything would go smoothly and that they would enjoy this adventure back home. Um, just be with them and be with Scott and Amy and the rest of the family to welcome them in and just let this be a wonderful time for them all. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Yeah. So this is a, a fun one for me. I'm going to ask Quinn and the rest of her family to come on up here. So in our church, baptism is a really important thing. Um, for us, it's not, a, it's not something you do to be saved, but it is an expression of your salvation. Um, Quinn, a couple months ago was going through this Bible study all the way up. <laughs> You're on camera, so everybody look right there. <laughs> so this was a Bible study that her and her family were doing, and it just took her to a point where the question was asking, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins, and do you trust him to be your Lord and Savior? And it was in that moment that she realized that she hadn't, and she cho then chose to become saved. And so it's written down right here, Quinn asked Jesus to save her and to be her Lord on March 2nd, 2022, which is pretty awesome. And so as she was going through scripture, she realized I need to be baptized because that's what the Bible says, right? And so in her courageous act and as a family wants to stand before you and talk about what that means to her. Now, but for those of you who don't understand baptism, we do it as an act of our belief. It's an expression of who we are, this sanctification journey. It's important because it takes courage to stand here. It's part of her telling you and people around her that she believes that Jesus is her Lord and Savior. Um, it's an act of obedience as well. Jesus got baptized, and he asked us to do the same. So I think that the importance is her being here giving testimony to what she believes, and then we get to hold her accountable to it as well, right? So we get to speak into her life as she moves forward and as she grows as a Christian. 
She wanted to hold the mic on her own, so I'm going to give this to you. Quinn, share. <laughs> I love Jesus, and I know he says, if I believe in him, I will go to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. Everyone needs to give their life to Jesus or they will go to hell. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Revelation 1, 17 through 18. So following the service today, we're actually going to go down to the creek. We'll be right across from Lions Park. It's a little bit wonky down there right now because they've changed the parking. So you might have to walk a little bit. So about 30 minutes past when we end here, we will go down there and everybody's welcome. It's a great testimony as well. People will stop. People will ask, what's going on here? And you'll be able to tell them, well, this is Quinn. She believes that Jesus is her Lord and Savior and she wants to be baptized today. It's a pretty cool expression. So if you would like to join us about 30 minutes from when we end here, we will go down to the creek right across from Lions Park and we can all be part of Quinn being baptized. Why don't you just join me as we pray for her? Good job. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for Quinn. Thank you for the testimony that she brings to us this morning, the courage that it takes to move in obedience. It's difficult. It's difficult to make statements about Jesus right now in this world and I thank you that she comes from a family that is passionate about making sure that their children grow and know who Jesus is. Father, we pray for her in this journey, and we know that there will be obstacles thrown in her way. We know that there's going to be struggles and difficulties that confront her. I pray that this day would be something that would be anchored into her memory for forever, that she would be able to remember back to this moment where she stood before this congregation and you and said, I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. So we thank you for this time, and we pray blessings over this baptism. It's in your name we pray. Amen. stand we're gonna worship um, if you guys have been going to hillside for a bit I see some new faces but um, you'll know that a lot of times in the beginning of the morning we want to do like a hype song we call it the get it going song <laughs> trying to get your blood pumping and psyched about worship um, but sometimes we like to just mix it up and do um, a more reflective song and that's what we're gonna do this morning our prayer is that we can just come here, no matter what kind of week we had or what week is ahead of us, but just to declare this is the time to let everything else fade away. Um, and so let's pray that over each other and um, ask God to really move in your heart and um, lay down all the distractions um, so that we have this time to truly worship Him him with all that we are and all that we have. So we're going to sing together.
God, we worship you and we give you this time. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Um, I think greeting, we're doing that. <laughs> you guys to turn someone. to a neighbor after that. Say hi. <laughs>
Hey, just a quick announcement, not to embarrass anybody, but if you drive a white Chevy Equinox, your alarm is going off. Maybe someone's breaking into it. So I got quite a hum up here, Jeff. Is this still on? There we go. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all. I see a lot of new faces. I know school is starting this week, and we've got a lot of college students back, and probably got some families visiting with us today. So just want to let you know it's great to have you here this morning. Um, before we get into the message, I wanted to just thank um, those of you that have been praying with me and for me really over the last three years. Um, three years ago, June, uh, uh, the summer of 2019, I had a staph infection in my hip and ended up in the hospital for a month, and I've been dealing with it for the last three years. I had hip replacement surgery about five months ago, and this was just kind of a week of milestones for me. Um, Yesterday was actually the anniversary of getting out of the hospital, three-year anniversary of getting out of the hospital after a month. So that date is really meaningful to me, August 20th of 2019. And then also this week, it was really cool, I was discharged from physical therapy. After five months of physical therapy. <coughs> so yeah, praise the Lord. So after five months of physical therapy, got done with that um, after the hip replacement surgery, and then even cooler, last week I went for my first hike in about four years. Um, I also played volleyball for the first time. That wasn't pretty, but I played. And then yesterday I had to go fly fishing with my family. So, I mean, it has been a really good week. So, praise the Lord for all of that. Thank you all for your prayers and your support and encouragement. And, and you know, one of the things that God taught me through this whole ordeal um, is that everyone is dealing with something. I can't tell you how many conversations I had when I'm going around with crutches or going around with a cane and people would ask about it. It opened up the door to conversations. And honestly, that's one of the things I miss with my crutches is I'm having a lot fewer conversations like that. It was just kind of this open door to talk and to share and people would share what they were going through and struggling with and I could pray for them and they could pray for me. And, it, and it's just really powerful. So again, we just need to remember everyone in here is dealing with something. Everyone you meet in everyday life is dealing with someone. No one has a perfect life. We've all got stuff going on. So I just want to encourage you to be aware of those things. Have your antenna up. You know, be praying for opportunities to, to share with people, to encourage people, to support people. Um, and then be praying for people regularly when they ask you to. It is so crucial. It is so helpful to know that people are praying with you and praying for you and supporting you and encouraging you. So again, thank you for those of you who have done that for me over the last few years. So on that note, let's pray. And then we will get into our message this morning. <clears throat> Please join me. Father God, we uh, just come before you grateful just for who you are, Lord. You are a God who encourages, who supports, who heals, who, who challenges, who encourages. I mean, just who teaches us through the most difficult circumstances. And we're grateful for that, Lord. And we're grateful for those times where we are just struggling and, and you just are right there. And we can just draw close to you. 
And sometimes it's in those moments when things look the darkest, when it is the most difficult, that you are the closest. And your grace and your love is just so obvious, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. And Lord, I know there's lots of things going on in this congregation and our families and friends and neighbors and stuff, people that are just really struggling. Things are tough right now in this world. It just seems to be getting worse, not better. So Lord, we pray for your grace. We pray for your love. We pray for just the opportunity to share your love uh, with those around us on a regular basis. And as we go into the word today, this, this morning, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would guide our hearts, guide our minds, and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. All right, so this morning we are going to be talking about honesty, integrity, and being faithful to our commitments, which I would suggest is a somewhat countercultural message today. I mean, there is a significant credibility gap in our society a gap between what is spoken and what is true, a gap between what is reported and what is accurate, and a gap between what is promised and what is actually done. I mean, we see it in politics. We see it in journalism. We see it in business. We see it in education. And sadly, we even see it in the church at times. It's something that is endemic to our society. But, but Jesus declared a higher standard for us. And we're going to talk about that standard this morning. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been going through for several months now here, and we'll continue through Christmas, um, basically is the king teaching us about his kingdom. And it is full of, of insights and nuance and, and commands and, and recommendations on how to live our lives. And we're in the midst of, of discussing these six antitheses, as they're called. And these six antitheses are these teachings of Jesus right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where he basically speaks against the teaching and the traditions of the religious leaders of his day. And he uses this formula, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Okay, so he's bringing in a higher standard. And these teachings, these six antitheses, are part of his unpacking what it means to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. Now, in that day, for him to come in and say, in order to get into the kingdom of God, you must have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, all the Jews of his day would have been like, okay, there's no hope for any of us. Because the Pharisees, you know, they held them up on pedestals. They were the most righteous people of the day. But his next example of what it means to have a surpassing righteousness has to do with the practice of swearing oaths. Now, when I first started looking at this and started, you know, realizing, okay, I'm going to be teaching on this section this week, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not the most exciting section, really, to be honest. But as I dug into it a little bit, it actually is a very interesting subject. Now, we don't talk a lot about oaths these days, except for maybe a, a politician taking an oath of office. You know, you think on Inauguration Day, they've got the hand on the Bible, they take the oath of office, that kind of thing. Or a law enforcement officer or someone going into the military who takes an oath of duty. Or if you've ever been a witness in a court of law, you, you swear as you go in uh, as a witness in a, in a court of law. But, but in the Bible, we see that oaths are actually really prevalent. For example, in Joshua chapter 9, 
there's a situation where an oath plays a crucial role in a story. Israel had just entered the Promised Land. They're battling with the Canaanites. And one of the nations who lived nearby, a very small nation, a small city basically, recognized that Israel was a serious threat. These were the Gibeonites. Okay? So they basically, not wanting to get destroyed, they basically tricked Israel into making a treaty with them. They lived nearby, so they knew they were in the path. But they basically came in and claimed to live far away. So they got Israel to sign a treaty with them. So, starting in verse 15 of chapter 9, it says this. It says, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they had made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. Even though they had been deceived, we cannot touch them now because of this oath. But this is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. Okay, so now there are several elements in this oath that were really important. One, it was an oath made in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Two, because it was an oath made in the name of the Lord, it was absolutely binding. And three, because there was also a curse associated with it. Okay? God's wrath would fall on them if they didn't live up to their oath. So biblically, an oath is basically a solemn promise regarding some future action that invokes a divine witness and typically carries some sort of curse if it is not followed through. And again, our passage for today has to do with this topic of oaths. So let's read it. So Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. It says, again, you have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, in ancient Israel, <clears throat> oaths were a guarantee that a promise would be fulfilled. And the law insisted that people follow through on what they swore to do. So Numbers chapter 30 verse 2 says this, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. And it was God himself through the law who declared that oaths should be made in his name. So there's a specific formula. It says in Deuteronomy 6.13, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Now, the law also prohibited anyone from using God's name deceptively. Now, Exodus 27, which is the third commandment of the Ten Commandments, says this, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
Now, what immediately comes to mind for you that? We think immediately of swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, right? But it's actually, that's part of it, but it's also this idea of using God's name in an oath in a dishonest or deceptive fashion. And we see that kind of spelled out in Leviticus 19.12 where it says, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. So the idea here is that oaths were permissible and that oaths were to be made in the name of the Lord, but only if one absolutely intended to follow through on that oath. Otherwise, you would profane the name of God. Now, we also see multiple examples of people taking oaths in the name of God. For example, in Genesis 14, Abraham swore an oath in God's name following a great battle. It says, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. And then later, in Genesis 24, Abraham makes his servant, Eliezer, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that he would not go get a wife for Abraham's son Isaac from among the Canaanites. Okay. Now, interestingly, we also see examples of God himself swearing oaths, which is really kind of fascinating. In Genesis 22, he declares an oath to Abraham. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So God actually takes an oath here swearing in his own name. We would say, I swear to God, but he says, I swear by myself that he would bless Abraham, that he would give him countless descendants, and that he would bless the nations through those descendants. And this is the Abrahamic or the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abraham. And it's fulfilled ultimately through Jesus Christ who comes as a result through the nations and is a blessing to all of the nations. Now, it seems odd that God would have to swear an oath here because his integrity is unquestionable, but, but he's not really swearing an oath here because his integrity might be questioned. He is swearing an oath here, I believe, because he wished to impress upon his people the significance of this promise. So anytime you see this kind of oath-taking behavior in the Bible, it is due to the significance of what's going on. Now, in the New Testament... Paul also makes what, what we call solemn promises. He doesn't use the terminology of an oath or I swear this or swear that, but he does call on God as his witness. So that kind of puts it in the same category as an oath. For example, in Galatians 1.20, he says, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And then in Romans 1.9, he says, God is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. So these are oath-like statements that he makes. Now, the point of these examples is that oaths and solemn promises are prevalent throughout the Bible. So Jesus is not speaking against oaths per se. God's law permitted such oaths. God's people took such oaths. And even God himself, we see examples of him taking oaths or swearing oaths. 
Now, we get into the teaching around Jesus' time, which is what Jesus is dealing with in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount. Because the teaching around oaths by this time had become somewhat convoluted. As we heard from Kevin last week, the Pharisees were somewhat permissive in their attitudes and rules about adultery and about divorce. And as it turns out, they were somewhat permissive here as well in their teaching about oaths. Now, don't get me wrong, these Jewish leaders, they believed in the principle of truth. Okay? They believed in the idea of truth. But what had happened in actual practice, truth was often kind of subverted within this system of traditions that they had created. Remember, we've been talking about these traditions now over the last several weeks as they're associated with these antitheses. Over the centuries, the Pharisees had developed uh, kind of a list of do's and don'ts that were associated with the law, and if you kind of trace them back, you could connect them with various parts of the law, but they had modified many of these things um, in a way that made them humanly attainable or achievable, okay? Because the law itself was not achievable. It was an impossible standard. The only person who ever fulfilled the law was Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees knew that. So, so they came up with this, this series of, 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 of rules and regulations built around the law and manipulated it basically and kind of whittled it down and modified it and, and molded it so it fit their agenda. And this was true of their teaching on oaths as well. These religious leaders had created this elaborate system of, of oaths that basically condoned lying it, it, and enabled lying. And their traditions made an oath binding or not binding based on the nuances of how the oath was sworn. And we see some hints of that in our passage here. So Jesus says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even white or black. But remember, the law taught that oaths were to be made only in God's name. And the Pharisees would have known that from the law, that oaths made in God's name were absolutely binding. Okay? But their tradition allowed for oaths to be made on other things, like heaven, or on earth, or on Jerusalem, or even swearing on one's own head. I mean, think about it. We say these kind of things today. I swear on my grandmother's grave. You know, we use these kind of things to make ourselves sound more credible, and that's what the Pharisees were basically teaching as well. And, and, and apparently, each kind of oath came with a different level of accountability for falling through on what was promised. In other words, oaths made on something other than the divine name of God were not as binding. It allowed people to swear something and then not follow through and not have any consequences. So, so Jesus basically exposed this system of loopholes. He realized that under the Pharisees' traditions and under their teaching, someone could be considered righteous by their definition even if they had lied, even if they had not followed through on an oath, as long as the oath followed the right formula and didn't hold them accountable. So, so basically, this system enabled and legalize the telling of lies. And Jesus called them out on this later in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, speaking to the, to the Pharisees. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. 
But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. That's God. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So so this is the evidence here that the, the Pharisees had kind of twisted the Old Testament law to fit their definition of righteousness. So let's look at what Jesus was teaching here. Jesus exposed the folly of their interpretations of the law. He basically showed the truth here. And he made it clear that one cannot swear on anything without indirectly referring to God. If you swear on heaven, well, that's God's throne. If you swear on the earth, well, that's God's footstool. If you swear on Jerusalem, it's his city. If you swear on your own head, that's his too. It's his creation. So God is the creator of all things, and he is the Lord over all things. So to swear on any part of his creation as a witness, and then to not keep that oath would be dishonoring to God himself, whether or not God's name was invoked or not. Now, using this logic and this standard, all oaths are binding, regardless of what's invoked as a witness. Now, we might have expected Jesus to say something, well, but I tell you, all oaths invoke the name of God, directly or indirectly, so all oaths are binding. But that's not what he said here, is it? Instead of insisting that oaths are binding, and instead of insisting that oaths be made in God's name, he gets to the heart of matter and says, do not swear an oath at all. All you need to do is simply say yes or no. Speak the truth and leave it at that. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Follow up on your commitments. So I would suggest that what Jesus was teaching here was that instead of relying on oaths, which apparently the Pharisees and a lot of the people were doing, they should focus on making every word they say truthful. They should be honest. They should have integrity. And people should be able to count on them to follow through on what they had said. After all, I mean, if someone is righteous, if someone is truthful, if someone is dependable, then why would they need to swear an oath to confirm the truth of their words? I mean, when someone comes up to you and says, you know, in all honesty, I got to tell you something. I'm just being honest here. Does that mean they're being dishonest the rest of the time? And when you say something like that, you're kind of declaring that most of the time you're deceptive, but right now I'm being honest, so you better listen to me. That's kind of the idea here. Now, now, one of the questions that comes up here about oaths is, is that, you know, should Christians swear oaths at all? You know, for example, should you swear an oath in a court of law? Should you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing, you know, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Okay. Or should you take an oath of office or an oath of duty? Now, some Christian groups 
have interpreted this passage in such a way to say that, no, you should never take an oath of any kind. But I would suggest that's not the case, and that this teaching does not prohibit oath-taking in all situations. So we don't take it that literally. It's kind of like what Kevin talked about last week, you know, if, if you're dealing with lust, you know, cut off your hand and, and, and gouge out your eye. These aren't literal statements. He's trying to make a point here about what obedience looks like. Okay. But in ancient Israel, oaths were intended for matters of great significance. Okay. But it would appear that in Jesus' day, oaths were being overused for everyday kind of trivial matters, everyday statements, kind of becoming cliche, if you will. So, so I think Jesus was saying that oaths were not necessary for these everyday matters. A simple yes or no should suffice in most situations, and we don't need to embellish our conversations to make ourselves sound more credible. But for weightier matters, oaths are still permissible. After all, we see an example of Jesus himself responding to being charged to testify under oath by the high priest Caiaphas. In Matthew 26, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, did Jesus deny it? No. Did he say, I can't swear an oath, so I can't testify in that way? No. He simply said, you have said so. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So he responded. He swore, in effect, under oath. And the, the, the religious leaders, their response was to pick up stones to try to stone him because they believed he was committing blasphemy by claiming to be the Messiah and claiming to be equal with God. So, so oaths themselves are not the problem here. And, and taking an oath, like an oath in a court of law or an oath of office or an oath of duty, is not prohibitive. Instead, I believe that Jesus was teaching that honest people do not need to resort to swearing oaths to make themselves sound more credible, to make themselves sound more sincere in everyday language. Okay. So it was really a challenge to simply be honest in every aspect of your life, right? Speak the truth and back it up with your character, not with an oath. So, how is this significant today? I mean, after all, we don't go around, like I said, swearing oaths every day. But just, just because oaths are not a significant part of our culture doesn't mean we can kind of just skip over this passage and not worry about it. That's one of the, the strengths of preaching through a, a, a section of the Bible like the Sermon on the Mount or a book of the Bible like Galatians, passage by passage, is that we don't get to skip over the tough passages. I mean, Kevin probably wanted to skip over that passage last week on lust and divorce, right? Right, Kevin? Yeah. That was not, not a fun one. And this one, you know, you're like, okay, is it really that applicable or can we just skip over it? No, there's always something in here that we can learn. I mean, remember these antitheses that we're studying as part of the Sermon on the Mount really focuses on the heart of the matter. That's what Jesus does throughout this. You know, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, do not even be angry. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't lust. You have heard it said, you know, do not break your oath. I tell you, do not even swear an oath at all. So what is the heart of this passage? I believe the heart of this passage, and therefore its significance to us, is that we as followers of Christ are called to a higher level of honesty and integrity. 
We shouldn't have to take an oath or swear to God or swear on our grandmother's grave in order to be believed and trusted. People should be able to trust our word. A recent study from the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse came up with some interesting statistics on lying. The study tracked 630 people who were asked to keep a daily journal of the lies they told, big and small, over a three-month period. The participants recorded an astounding 116,336 lies. That is an average of 184 lies per person over a three-month period. Basically, two to three lies per day were recorded. I mean, if you told two lies today, did you, did you tell two lies yesterday? I went fishing yesterday, and I was very careful to be accurate about the size of the fish I bought. <laughs> you know, or the fish I bought, the fish I caught. <laughs> um, but, but, but this happens all the time. But the researchers were quick to point out that, that the data was a little bit skewed. There was a fairly small subset of the sample population that lied a lot, 15 to 20 times a day on average. Now, they said about three quarters of the participants, 75% of the participants, were consistently honest, telling fewer than two lies per day. Now, what's wrong with that statement? Their definition of consistently honest was telling fewer than two lies per day. Not telling no lies, not slipping up and maybe telling two lies throughout the entire three-month period. But their definition of consistently honest was someone who told fewer than two lies per day. So even if you did that, you were still telling 180 lies during that three-month period if you told approximately two lies per day. What does that tell you about our society? We are a society of liars. We lie about everything. We embellish the truth. We add things. We, we say things we're going to do that we're not going to do. But really, that shouldn't surprise us. The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. And the Bible describes Satan as a liar and the father of lies. So is it any surprise that the world system headed up by Satan is characterized by lying? But God has a higher standard. Now, I would imagine the vast majority of you, if I asked you right now, would raise your hands and says, I am a consistently honest person. But, but where do we really fit when we look at the scale of truth-telling? When, when posting on social media, do you lay it all out there? Do you tell them how the entire trip was or the entire day was? Or do you pick out the highlights and maybe even embellish those a little bit? If you come home from work and you had a really frustrating conversation with one of your coworkers and you're just mad and you want to tell your spouse about it and kind of get it off your chest, do you really tell all the details about your side of what was said? Or do you kind of conveniently leave that out because it makes you look bad? Okay. Do you, you know, if you're, if you're in sales, really we're all sort of in sales in one way or another, but do you ever exaggerate the claims about a particular product or a service in order to close a deal. If a clerk in a store gives you too much change, do you give it back? If you get home and realize it, do you get back in the car and take it back to the store? 
Have you ever promised to be at one of your kids' events or maybe a friend's party and then something came up or you just kind of got too tired and, you know, they just started making up excuses and not going? See, every time we lie, even the little so-called white lies or fibs, those kind of things, every time we break a promise, every time we fail to follow through on something we committed to do, and we all do this, we all do it at one point or another, we're failing to meet God's standard here. And we're failing those to whom we made those promises. And we're failing in our witness because I guarantee you someone is watching. You see, we're all called to be witnesses for Christ. And people are watching our lives. And believers and unbelievers alike that are, that are in our sphere of influence may judge the validity of Christianity based on our honesty, our integrity, and our follow-through, or our lack thereof. I mean, this happens just, just in a family. Our kids are always watching us. And if we're doing anything like this, subtle thing, they're going to see that. And they're going to start questioning things a little bit. So are we honest in all our dealings? Are we truthful in everything we say? Are we faithful in our follow-through? And again, this is not about legalism here, so don't get me wrong. Jesus is not teaching that telling the truth earns forgiveness or earns your salvation, anything like that. That's not where he's going here. But telling the truth, being honest, being dependable should be characteristics of those who follow Jesus. So we should always strive to be truthful in what we say and faithful to do what we promise. Partly because it's God's standard because, and therefore it's the right thing to do. Partly because others are depending on us and partly because other people are watching us. And our integrity is a significant aspect of our witness. It speaks volumes. People take a lot more from what you do and how you act than what you say. And if you're not acting with integrity, if they don't see you as an honest person, then they're certainly going to tune you out when you start talking. So, simply, like another, trans another translation says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, say what you mean and mean what you say. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this just amazing gift of, of language that you've blessed us with. Um, and we thank you for the opportunities that we have to converse and to share and to, to help others and to encourage. And, but Lord, we know sometimes we abuse this gift language and we maybe manipulate it, use it to our advantage, say things we don't really mean, but we say them to be more convincing. And, and Lord, sometimes we're just dishonest and we just want to acknowledge that today and confess it to you and recognize that. And I, I can think of numerous examples in my life where I've struggled with this and, and I just know it's just so much easier to be truthful. And it's so important as people are watching our lives to be truthful, to be honest, to be people of integrity. So Lord, just help us to take this to heart. Help us just think about what we say. Help us to be very intentional about what we say. And help us to be even more intentional to, to follow through on what we say. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness. You are a God of grace. Um, and we just lift our lives up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
you're hurting and broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Come to the altar Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness is bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Leave behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Christ is risen. 
claim it. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before Him. For He is Lord. Christ is 
think about coming to the altar, it's this picture of just coming with your soul laid bare, um, just seeing everything and every thought, every honest thought, just out there for God to see and for all to see. I think a lot of the time we lie to ourselves and to God. We say these things um, like even in worship and just our Christian language of like, God, I surrender. God, I promise that was the last time or I promise uh, my life is yours. We say these things but deep down, we don't mean them all the time. This past week, I caught myself. I was like, man, I don't think I mean that. I was, you know, singing, God, I want you, nothing else, nothing else. You're all that I want. And in that moment, I don't think I could say that I meant that honestly. But it ended up being a really cool moment because I was finally honest with God after so long of just saying these things so emptily, that's a word. Um, and so uh, I want to encourage you guys just to take this time to look deep inside of yourself and just see if there's anything that you've been saying or trying to convince yourself of or trying to convince God of, <laughs> um, but just really yeah, take a second look and see what you actually mean. And the cool thing is that when we come to that place, we're like, man, I don't think I can actually surrender right now. I don't mean this when we're singing, I surrender, God, I give you all cool thing about God is that we can ask him help me mean that give me the strength set a fire in me to actually mean those words to give you my life to give you this day to make you all that I want he can meet us there and he will give that to us if we cry out to him because when we're finally honest and we declare him with the authority that he has in saying, God, I need you. I need you to be the first in my life. I need to surrender this right now. He will come, and it, we don't know when, but he will honor that. But first, it takes being honest with ourselves and with God. So we're just going to take a moment just to pray and reflect and cry out to him and ask him to help us stir in our hearts.
set a fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. So I want more of you, God. I want more of you.
Thank you that we can come to you. And all that we are, the broken people that we are, God, you receive us and you love us. God, you know every thought before we think it. You know every word that we mean or don't mean. I pray that you would continue to move in our hearts. God, that you would give us the strength and the desire and passion and mean what we say to others, to ourselves, and to you. God, you want our honesty. You want, uh, you want us to come to you that you are um, the one above it all. You are our King of Kings, our Father who loves us. God, I thank you that even when we are faithless, you are faithful, and you always mean what you say, and we can count on that every day. see it. God, we know that you're, what you have said will come to pass. We may not see it in our lifetime. We may, it may not look like how we thought it would, but God, we can count on what you say and what you promise because you are faithful. So God, we love you. We thank you. We're gonna sing one more song, so if you guys wanna stand up, um, we're gonna celebrate or just declare God is a promise keeper, um, that his promises we can count on. Um, yeah, even when we don't mean it, he always does. We can, um, 
celebrate his promises. When the weight of life begins to fall On the name of Jesus I will call I know my God is in control And His purpose is unshakable Doesn't matter what I feel doesn't matter what I see, my hope will always be in your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear, for your love has set me free. My hope will always be in your promises to me.
for me Nothing's gonna stop the plans you've made Nothing's gonna take your love away You will always be more than enough for me for worshiping so in about a half an hour down by clear creek yeah, or down forget. at clear creek not by in